Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Today we have not one, but two guests on the CMO podcast. This is a special edition recorded live in front of an audience of 52 CMOs and rising CMOs at the three-day next-gen CMO Academy at Deloitte University in Westlake, Texas. My guests today include Bukanwa Ojo, who has been a CMO at beauty company Cody, Mac Cosmetics, and most recently at Amazon Prime Studios. Our return guest is Vinu Vijay, who is the CMO at Truist, the new company that is the merger of SunTrust and BB&T Banks. Vinu was on the show about two years ago when he was the CMO at H&R Block. This is my conversation about leadership, influence, and collaboration with Ukanwa and Vinu. Welcome, you two, to this panel. And we're getting quiet now. I think we should start with, um, this is your first time at the session? Yes. 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 First time at DU. First time at DU. So, and you've been here at least a night. Right? Yes. So you've been here a couple hours, you've been mixing it up and networking. Yeah. So I'd just like you to share with the group, is there a discussion you've had or a person you've met or an experience you've had so far that is notable for you? And as the audience knows, I never give them any warning for what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> no. I would say yesterday um, that dinner was lovely, the location was mm. lovely. Um, and I saw a friend that I hadn't, where's Gabrielle? I hadn't seen her in like over 10 years. And oh, wow. this brought us together. And I literally saw her and I squealed like, I was like, Gabrielle! <laughs> like I was so happy when I saw her and it just brought me so much joy. So I won't, I won't forget that. And I for sure won't forget her. So. I won't forget it either. <laughs> so great. It was a whole vibe. It was a whole vibe. Yeah. I love that. We knew how. Yeah, I just so we don't spend too can't much. Can't top that. Yeah, I can't top that. I would just say this is like being in a community of of people that you understand immediately and understand you immediately, and that's just a wonderful thing because it just allows you to uh, be free and open and thoughtful, and and that's what I'm excited for you guys and for myself. A big theme yesterday. We talked leadership, of course, and we will again today and talk about influence and collaboration. But a big theme yesterday was you can't lead if you don't know the people you're leading as total people. So I'd like us to start by getting to know these two as total people. So I'm gonna ask a few questions. I'm gonna ask you if you have anything you wanna ask them as we did yesterday. And the first one is, tell us about your hometown, where you were born. Well, I was born in uh, Bombay, in Mumbai, India, and spent my childhood in Indonesia in in a town called Surabaya. So any Surabayans, anyone? No, but. Would have been great. Would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's where I grew up. You can um, I was born in Lagos, Nigeria. And it's a crazy, chaotic, beautiful piece of heaven. Um, I, I love Lagos. Still go to Lagos. Um, and yeah, that was, that's where I was born. That's where I got my start. Maybe we should have DU there next year. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the best thing that's happened to you this summer... I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> exactly. Um, is, so it's, I transitioned from my role in June, and I was very happy to have the summer off. And my husband asked me what I wanted as my transition gift. 
And I said I wanted to fly to the north of Italy and slow travel down south. And that's what he gave me. And it was the most beautiful one month of my life. And we covered, it seemed like, all of Italy. Um, and we just ate our way through it. I'm working through everything I ate in that month. <laughs> I'm a little chubbier than I'm used to, but it's, these are joy pounds. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah, it's great. I'll use an, a work example. Uh, this, this summer, we really, I think, we, we, our company finally became this new brand and company and serving clients in a, in a different way with a new brand. And, and I got to build out a marketing function and over the last six months brought in about 100 new marketers. And we moved into our office post-COVID and now we have Tuesdays at the office all together. And over the summer, having everybody there in the office energized just was super energizing for me and, and, and uh, that's, my, that's my great memory. I often ask in my podcast, the first brand people remember making an impact on them. So I'm not going to ask that question here, but I'm going to ask you, because our theme is leadership, who's the first leader you remember in your career, in your life, making a large impact on you? Economist, do you want to go uh, first? Or, no. no, go ahead. Uh, was it, I, some of you might know him. He, 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 he's, he's a marketer. He's a chief marketer of, uh, I, I believe, uh, CarMax now. Jim Liskey was my first boss. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and Jim, I have Jimisms that I say even today. <laughs> I, will, I will say, Jim, I used another one of your lines because uh, it was just when, when I was young and, and, uh, and he was very uh, influential in, in shaping my career. And, and, and so, Jim? Um, it's interesting. I have a really, um, really impactful Jim in my life, too. I wasn't going to say um, about Jim, but I'll, I'll say the story about Jim just because it feels very right for the moment, and I'll talk about who was the first. Um, but, but Jim was a huge, huge impact on my life. Um, I worked for Jim when I was younger. Um, I started my career in finance, and I wanted to go to business school, and I went to go talk to Jim, who was the CIO at the company at the time. And I asked him where I should go. I told him I was going to go to Ohio State, nothing against Ohio State. I told him I was going to go to Ohio State because I lived in Dayton at the time and it was the closest. And Jim said, no, you won't. Um, you will go to a top three business school. He said, I will write your recommendation. Um, and that's where you'll go. And I ended up going to Kellogg. And he wrote my recommendation. I got in. Um, and the rest, they say, is history. Um, so very impactful, Jim, on my life. Um, in my personal life, the first leader that I just really admired was my dad. Um, he was absolutely fearless. Um, he was a pilot and had a crazy idea that he could own his own airline. And he quit his job without the money to own the airline, by the way, and then went around looking for investors to do that. And he ended up raising the money um, and he started his own. And it was just one of those scary things. I was a very, very young kid. But it had a huge impact on me to live your life fearlessly. Um, you won't always have it figured out, um, but it does always seem to work out in the end. A leader each of you admire. I, I want to think of somebody that, that we would all recognize and know and sort of we can pull out some threads from it. Uh, and I would say I admire um, blank. <laughs> <laughs> tough question. I, it's not tough for me because um, she's actually right here, Jerry. Oh. Um, Jerry is everything, like everything. I remember um, when I wanted to be a CMO 
um, and Jerry was the CMO, and we were talking about it last night. We went to ELC, which is the Executive Leadership Council, and she was giving out an award at the ELC gala to Magic Johnson. And Jerry came on stage, and we both remembered the white dress she had on. <laughs> and she was super smart. She was beautiful. She was fashionable. She was fit. She had like, she still has Michelle Obama arms. And like, I was just like, how could you be? She was the first example that you could have it all. Like, she's married still to the same person. Like, just everything. And I just admire her because of the whole person that she is. Just incredibly smart, really great human, crazy fashionable. Like, look at the Shadi Adu t-shirt she has on. Like, I literally want that. Um, and like, I, and I'm so fortunate that we are friends today. But at the time when I first met her, she was such an idol to me. I never imagined that we would be friends. And so I consider myself very lucky to have Jerry in my life. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry. Jerry's in the front row. You should say hello to her at the break. Well, thank you for that. Do you have anything now to say? I, I can't be that. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hate getting the next question, but I, I think it's a good one. It's one of these self-awareness questions. What, what do you feel is your greatest gift or strength as a leader? And on the opposite end, what are you still working on? Yeah, for me, it's empathy. I, I think that the biggest thing that has helped me uh, both embrace my work and embrace the people around me is that I really, really automatically see somebody's life through their eyes. And so I, I appreciate that. It's important for marketers, it's important for leaders, and, and so I appreciate that very much. And the thing I would say I'd, I'd be working on is one of the things that we all deal with all the time is how do you, how do you manage conflict in a way that is as win-win as possible. And one of the things I find I do is in that, in that engagement, I tend to go for balance, and sometimes it's better to go for win. And that's something I have to keep reminding myself is, hey, sometimes just go for the win. Say more about that. What do you mean you go for balance, but you should go for the win? Yeah. Um, the, what I mean is, let's say, uh, let's say you and a colleague have... Um, uh, a conflict. And that conflict is fairly mundane, it's fairly straightforward, but it has a long tail impact. So the, the conflict is something small now, but it has a very long impact in terms of the decision making. So revenue and growth is a good example. Usually most, most marketers have that challenge. How much direction do you make on revenue and growth? That conflict is an important conflict. It's an important tension. And, and I think one of the biases I had earlier in my career was, well, let's just get along. And the problem with just getting along is you never really resolve it in a way that's appropriate for the long tail. And so better to have the conflict and deal with it and go for the win in it because you know the impact that that'll have in 10 years. Yukonwa, strength and what you're working on. My strength is the ability to see the heart of a thing. I don't know where the gift, well, I know where the gift comes from. I'm a strong person of faith. Um, it's, a it's a gift that comes from God. It's a gift that I use in my personal life as well as in my professional life. Like I can see a lot of information and like immediately go, so the heart of it is X. My opportunity is <laughs> I just say that. <laughs> so a lot of times that offends people. And so the art of like 
get like dancing everybody to that heart versus just saying, okay, so we've been working on this for six months, but it's X. Okay, I'll let you go away for six months and come back, but it's X. And so that's the hard part. I've never been good at that. I would say I'm working on it, but I'm 45 now and I've been working on it my whole life. So I don't know that I'm ever going to get there. So I don't know that I'm working on it anymore. Um, I think I've just realized that it's, um, I learned about this thing called a shadow and the greater your presence, the bigger your shadow. Um, and I've just learned that it's the shadow to my gift. And I've become comfortable with that. And so earlier in my career, I used to be very frustrated about that. And I was like, why can't I get better at being a diplomat? And I was like, but I'm not a diplomat. I never will be. I'm 45 years old. And so I'd rather use my energy on making, getting my eights to a 10 than trying to get something that's a four to a five or a six. I'm over that. So, yeah. I guess I'm doing it right now, <laughs> being super direct. And, um, but yeah, that's the thing that I used to work on, but not really anymore. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. We have CMOs in the room and rising CMOs. You are both CMOs and experienced CMOs. What in your mind is the most important characteristic of a happy, successful CMO? Well, you tossed in happy. Uh, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> no, I, I, honestly, I, I think the most important ingredient in my life to answer that question would be who are you surrounding yourself with every day? And if you're surrounding yourself, your engagements are, are lifting, yes, happy, yes, successful. Uh, and if they're not, no. Uh, and so I, I think that's the most important thing is not just your own team, your colleagues, your, your, your partners, how do you create that, that engagement and relationships that are uh, self, self, uh, self-realizing? Mm. Happy and successful for me have different drivers sometimes. Mm. Success for a CMO is like you're delivering what, you're, what the business needs, what the customers need, and you're fiercely advocating for that um, and leading the organization and the team to do that, like you are the advocate for the customer in every room, in every meeting, um, and fighting to deliver for them every single day, even when that sometimes means that you have to have conflict with some of the other members of the C-suite. Um, but you have to be that steward of the brand and of the customer um, and you know, set a vision that helps people to, take, to get there. Happy as a human being, that's not what makes me happy as a human being. Happy as a human being for me is being in my center. And so my center for me has a lot to do with my faith. Um, Happy for me as a human being is the love of my husband, my family, my sisters. We have a Zoom call every Saturday. Um, I'm full of joy after that call is over every Saturday. Happy for me is my 11-year-old son and the crazy stuff he comes up with every day just cracks me up. Um, Those are the things that that really, really, really bring me, it's even past happiness, it brings me joy. And sometimes they're the same thing, but I try to keep them separate so that I never get them, you know, 
intertwined too much and they don't affect the other. So we're getting to know these two leaders in the first 10 or 15 minutes of this. I'm going to go to the audience now to see if there's anything you would like to ask them to get to know them a bit better. Ah. Good morning. Thank you for coming to share your insights. I think my question is, when you got and started your first CMO role, sort of what was the biggest challenge or what was your deer in headlights moment? Uh, My first CMO role was about 12 years ago as a CMO of TD. And uh, I think the the deer in the headlights moment, I would say the the biggest thing in any any new, new CMO function is what is the expectations that the organization has of this hire uh, and is it rational and shared across the rest of the C-suite? And I, you know, you, every, you try and sort of glean that in the, in the conversation process before you get on, but you don't really know until you're there and you sort of get, get hit in the face with what people actually think about the role and, and what they want from it. And I would say that my first, uh, my first two, three months, the deer in the headlights moment was sort of recognizing in people's eyes that there was complete inconsistency at the C-suite in terms of what they thought the job was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've worked in financial services, you know that marketing is completely misunderstood. And nobody knows what that even means. And, uh, and, and most of the people think it's television advertising. Um, first of all, they think it's creative, and then they think it's television advertising or an event. And, and so when you see that in their eyes, you see that in their questions, you think, haven't you talked to the CEO? Like, have, have you guys not talked about this? No, they haven't. And so, so that it's, it's understanding that that's where you are and you have to now work your way through that and, 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 uh, and make, that, make those connections for them. Um, my first CMO role was um, at Cody um, and it was a turnaround. And um, turnarounds are hard. They're really hard. I love them. I actually really like them um, because I talked a little bit about my gift and it's actually really helpful in a turnaround. But emotionally, they take a huge, huge toll on you um, because you have to give a lot to your team who's working really hard every day to deliver and they don't always see the results right away. Um, So you have to stay strong for them and you have to give a lot of energy. And because you don't see the results right away, you don't get a lot of energy back. Um, And so that was the deer in the headlights is for a moment there, I just felt like I was giving a lot of energy and I felt really depleted and exhausted. On the flip side, there is nothing more thrilling than when you see the results of that. And when you start to see the impact in market, it is like uh, it is so fulfilling to see the work that the team has put, like even to see it on, on their faces when they start to see the results of that and know that they did that. Um, it's really cool and it's really thrilling. But boy, that period, that dark moment before you see the light at the end of the tunnel is one of the hardest things um, you can go through as a CMO. And for me personally, is one of the hardest things that I had ever gone through. I like turnarounds too, but they are tough. They are. Really but they are very rewarding. Very rewarding. And you learn a lot about yourself going through an experience like mm-hmm. that. Any, anyone else? Yes. Uh, hi, I'm Julie. I work at Oxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's oil and gas. So um, you talked a little bit about uh, managing conflict, both of you, in slightly different ways. Um, one of the things I think our team struggles with is being the chief bad guy instead of the, mm-hmm. you know, the CMO office, a lot of the conversations I've had with peers uh, the last couple of days have been, 
just around, you know, misplaced or misguided or misaligned requests. And you have to do what's right for the organization and drive that consistency and help people become brand stewards. But sometimes in doing that, you're perceived as the chief bad guy because everybody's an art director, everybody's a movie producer, everybody's a graphic designer, everybody's a photographer, right? So how, how do you do that but still win, right? Mm. Win the relationship but also win the outcome. How do you balance that? Mm. It's a long question. I'm sorry. No, I, th- I think it's a, it's a very true question. So uh, thank you for that. Um, so a couple of things I've encouraged my teams to do. One is don't be the chief bad guy. So it, and normally it's like brand cop or marketing cop. It's like, well, these guys are doing something that we're supposed to be doing or they're, they're, they're making designs and they're, they're doing some marketing. Ignore it all. Like don't be the person that is trying to police what happens. Because by definition, then that's not a growth. That's not a growth position. That's that's by definition. That's an audit position. So so forget about it. Um, let it let it be. The way that I encourage uh, the team to think about um, their mandate is think in terms of what you are contributing and what you are driving in terms of the key outcomes you want to see, and then drive towards that. Just like anybody else is trying to do, drive towards that. So if it is transforming growth in the company, then great. You're about transforming growth in the company. And if somebody's doing something that is helpful to that, fantastic, be a champion for them. If they're not, ignore them. Focus on the thing that you gotta get done. And then some, a practical thing that we set up, I've set up in a couple of companies that has helped me, help the teams a little bit, is, is something that I, I, it's a toll gating process, but essentially it's a, it's a bastardized version of Six Sigma. But the only reason I do it, all, all, it, all it is is it says, hey, before any work gets initiated in this organization, I want to know what problem you're solving and what your metric is, your primary metric. And if I don't understand that, you're not working on it. And then there's serious gates after that. And the logic for me doing it is not that I don't trust the team or that I even think that that needs to be asked all the time. It's just a way to stop a little bit of that noise. So somebody comes in and says, hey, I've got this promotion. I got you to get working on. The team can say, what problem are you solving for? What's the primary metric? And I'll go through my gating process to figure out how to solve that. And so it's a, it's a way for them not to be the bad cop. You know, I'll be the bad cop and somebody can call me and say, that's a, you know, whatever. But that, that's a way that we've sort of practically tried to address it. Um, that's a really great question. And I think one that CMOs struggle with across industries. My perspective on it is I am democratic about a lot of things. So on strategy, I want everybody's input everybody's feedback. Doesn't mean I don't necessarily follow it, but I want everybody's input. Um, on tactics, same. On creative, no. Creative is not a democratic process. And I literally say that. I was like, creativity is not a democratic process. Um, and we cannot do great work by literally shopping it around and getting everybody's input, and then we end up putting some vanilla version of what that is out to customers. And so what matters for creative is re- like we're creating it for our customers, not for the C-suite, not for each other. We're creating it for our customers. And so that's where your advocacy as like the chief customer officer, because it's we say chief marketing, like you're not really the chief marketing officer, in my opinion. Like you're, we're, we are the customer people. Um, And so for that, I am comfortable with conflict on behalf of the customer. 
Um, I will advocate for them. And I feel, believe I'm a steward of their relationship with the company, making sure that we protect that at all costs, making sure that we deliver against that. And so, so long as we're talking about delivering for the customer, I'm happy to be wrong. Anybody can have a great idea on behalf of the customer. We are all customers. And so we can have a great conversation about that. Um, but then when it comes to creativity, I do believe creative teams are small and then they're tight. I believe it allows you to be nimble. It allows you to move quickly. It allows you to have creative that really emotes. And so that when you see something, you can, like, you can feel it. And that takes art and it takes a gift and everybody doesn't have that. Um, and so I think that's really important. The second thing I would say that's really helped me with other members of the C-suite is recognizing, and, and other, like, and the organization at large, is understanding that something that comes naturally to marketers and to creative people doesn't come naturally to other people. And that is that they are not conceptual. And that means like at the idea stage, because we're marketers, we get so excited. I have this great idea. Let me talk to you about it. And they can't see it. And you can't understand how they can't see it because you're naturally either a creative or you think creatively. And so even though it's not fully formed, you have in your mind how it's going to happen. They can't see that. And so you get so frustrated that they can't see what you see. And so it took me a lot of time to realize that is not the case. So I have to conceptualize what I want. I don't care if it's a sizzle video, if it's like a drawing, like you have to bring to life what that is and then they can see it. Imagine, so it looks like this, it'll work like this, but oh, but if you just try to take like a rough-ish idea, your heart's gonna be broken so many times. And that $15,000 investment, even a $100,000 investment that you make in conceptualizing that plan, that idea, it will pay off in dividends, it works like almost every single time. And it took me too long to learn that. You get rid of a lot of conflict by, by doing that. In the research that we did with you in the room and the people who sent you here, you know, a couple themes emerged. Collaboration was one, influence, and lots of leadership topics, which, which we've been talking about. I'm gonna pivot right now the conversation into influence. It's a weird word, right? But there's a lot of people who are in the room who are trying to figure out how to have a larger impact and influence outside the marketing function. Mm. Now, I want to start with something very fundamental. Why is that important? Well, I mean, we have, we have the most interesting job in companies, I think. And, and that's because our job is as big as we define it. And why is it important? Because generally speaking, we are wired to be left brain and right brain and forward thinking. And so we're going into the problem saying, how do we reimagine something? How do we cast the trajectory of this company in a different way? And how do we back it up with a narrative that is powerful internally and externally? These are things that are just normal in our way that our brains work. And mostly in a C-suite, you're the one who has that mindset. You know, and, and so... Is it important for companies? Oh my God, yes. It's incredibly important for companies. And sometimes the CEO has that. Sometimes the CEO has that sort of mindset and that's great because then you can you drift off of that. But mostly, in my experience, they don't. And they got to the CEO position in a different way. And they have something else that's super important and that, that I don't have and probably you don't have. And, and so I don't want to discount that. But the notion of 
finding the place that this whatever company you are the CMO for has in the ecosystem of the client and the community and now and in the future and how to create that trajectory is our job. And how do you do that job? Well, sometimes it requires changing client experience. Sometimes it requires getting really disciplined about growth. Sometimes it requires uh, an inward-looking purpose orientation, like understanding the why of the company and being able to articulate that and getting the teammates excited about that. Sometimes it requires good old-fashioned advertising. It kind of depends. And so I've had jobs at the CMO level that have leaned into one of those four things more so than less, and it's circumstantial. And in every one of those circumstances, though, uh, the need was for all four, and you just sort of have a bias towards one because that's what's needed immediately, and then you sort of gravitate towards the others because no one else is doing those jobs in the way that a CMO can. Well said. Yukonma, why is it important? I think it's important for what I said earlier is that we are the customer representative and advocate. And the, we are the ones that make sure that the voice of the customer is always heard. And it's really important to have that influence because you may have an idea for the customer, but the whole organization is going to deliver against it. And so it's really important that they have that empathy for the customer so that that idea can actually become a reality, not for you, but for the customer. Um, so I think that's really important. The other is um, show me a company that you believe has soul. And that is a company that really understands marketing. I believe that marketers are the heart and the soul of the company um, and that we're the ones who help every department really like, articulate what is great about that company. And when we think about the moments when we were really proud to be a part of the company, like typically there's something, even if it's not like an ad, there's something that a marketer put together, a video or a moment or something that made us really proud to be a part of that. Um, and so I think influence is important too because we can change how people feel about the company they work in. Like we can literally change that. And so when we are operating at our best and at our utmost, we get to create what employees and customers think about the organization. And I think that is so powerful. So yeah, I, I think it's really important that we that we strive for that influence within the company as well as external to the company. When I was offered the CMO job at P&G, my CEO said two things to me. First one is he said, this job will eat you alive if you let it. So it's up to you to not let it eat you alive, and I will support you on that. Second thing he said, I, he said, I can count on one hand the number of people in this company who are thinking about the future of this company beyond the next year or two, and you're one of them. So that's not a marketing definition. That is a company definition. It's a, it's a very empowering thought. So I think that's, uh, and I've never, obviously I've never forgotten, it's very vivid. And I think that says a lot about the potential of these roles. Right. Any tips about your strategies in helping yourself and your team think about their impact beyond marketing? Is there anything you do in your daily work or with your team or how you spend your time how you work with other functions that will be helpful for our participants to learn from your experience. Yeah, I, I mean, 
super important. Um, uh, and I, I would say there's probably two threads that I try and do for the teams. And, and I have one of my team leaders here who can validate not or not. <laughs> um, so there, there's two threads that, we, that I try and do. The first one is uh, it's really important to be the voice of the organization in public and in private within the ecosystem of the company so that when, when other C-leaders hear me talk, I'm not talking like the advertising guy, and I'm not talking like the strategy guy. I'm not. I'm, talk, I'm talking like the person that can that is helping the company direct the future of the company. Uh, because if I don't do it, then there's no chance that my team has the backing to do it. And so I have to really be conscious and consistent in being that voice uh, at the executive level and beyond uh, having that voice. The second uh, is how I've organized the the team. I've organized the team with the intention of having that outcome. Um, so, so it is very much structured where I've got uh, strategists uh, uh, who are essentially divisional CMOs for their function, and their job is to be the driver of uh, change and growth in that organization, and that, that's what Mariella does for the retail business. Uh, and, and then I've got the advertising and media team completely separate, uh, and they talk to Mariella, they don't talk to the business. <laughs> you know, that's a different part of the ecosystem, and they have a different mandate. And their mandate is to be truly extraordinary, and I call it brand precision. Truly extraordinary in the way that our brand shows up in every moment that it shows up, and I want them to be exceptional at that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I have a different group that's about um, uh, really being the voice, of the client, and and uh, understanding how our experiences operate and setting the, the tone for what the client experience strategy of the future should be. But I do all of that, or we do all of that, through our divisional CMOs. So what ends up, what the organization sees is an extremely capable function that is able to solve for a wide swath of problems through single voices. And, and so that's how, so it's constructing it and then reinforcing it through language. Yukon, what are your strategies? Um, I have a couple. I would say one is recognizing that we are there to drive the business. And so I like to describe myself as a creatively led general manager. And that allows you to think about the business in the same way that everybody else does. Um, Because you do find marketers sometimes that we kind of get in an echo chamber and we're talking endlessly about like, things that like the other people in the organization, they don't understand, they can't tangibly like wrap their heads around. And so getting marketers um, to really put themselves in the shoes of everybody else, the quickest way to do that is to think about the business um, and how we're going to deliver against those business goals and never losing sight of that and being really maniacal about delivering against that. The second is making sure that we have shared KPIs. Because when you have your own KPIs that are not everybody else's, um, that's actually really, really hard. And so do you have KPIs that are shared across businesses so everybody's working against the same goal? Um, I find that to be really, really helpful. Um, It immediately creates empathy. It immediately creates partnership with other functions towards towards the end goal. Um, and then the last is um, just making sure that 
you're all delivering against what the customer needs, what the customer is asking for. Have a process in place to actually surface quantitative and qualitative needs to everybody else. So one of the most powerful things you can do is a lot of times, for example, like marketers will go to focus groups and we'll come back, like either focus groups or we'll read insights online or social media or whatever. And we don't share those anecdotes with everybody else. We kind of share them amongst ourselves or with our creative agency. But I've found that if you actually show a video from of a customer literally sharing the feedback, it gets to the heart of people so quickly. They were like, oh, wow. Like, I had no idea people were actually going through that. And so I've become very generous and transparent to sharing a lot of what we hear from customers in the way that we hear it. Like, literally, just like, here's the video from the focus group of people talking about how hard it is to open this packet. Like, they, and they're like, oh, I knew you said the packaging was, but I, to hear it from the customer or to see the customer actually struggling with it oh, I get it now as a packaging person. I'm going to go fix that. And so doing things like that really help um, to bring kind of a shared empathy, shared business goal, shared KPIs, and shared customer empathy. Um, If you get those three things done, you'll move a lot quicker to partner with others to deliver for the end customer, which which is the goal at the end. I want to punctuate something you comma just said. I mean, I think Deloitte has research about emotion drives action. And when you do what you just talked about, bringing a video in of a customer, a client, a fan, and showing how they're reacting to what you're doing, what your organization is putting out there, you can't not deal with it. And so it's a very, very powerful. uh, I worked with an organization recently, very reluctant to change, had big issues with their clients. And bringing the feelings of the clients into the room, along with the data, but just created a whole different spirit in the room. So it's such an important point you just made. We could all do more of that. We should all do more of that. Can I add something? Um, There's something I say to my team all the time, and that is hearts before heads. And when you think about how you made very big decisions in your life, we like to think we make them rationally, but most of the time we make them emotionally and then rationalize them with facts. You'd be like, why did you pay $800 for those shoes? You want to say, no, because they're built you know, really well and they last a long... No, you thought they were cute. <laughs> like immediately you were like, oh my God, I love that. And then you found all the reasons why they were worth $800. But that wasn't the... Re- like you, that's not the reason you actually bought it. And so, but when we get in rooms with other humans, then we lead with heads, facts. And it's like a lot... No, they make a lot of really big decisions actually very emotionally. And our art as marketers, we're actually really good at that. But we forget that when we get in the room, we get intimidated because we're like, we want to outfinance the finance people. Um, but no, like we're, we're, we get emotion, we get heart. But always have your facts. Always have your facts and your rationale and all of that. But don't forget that most of the time, the house you bought, the person you married like the big decisions in your life, you led with emotion and you rationalized it with everybody else with facts. Big decisions at work are not that different. Um, And so don't forget to have that um, story, that anecdote, that video, that whatever, and then have all the facts to back it up. 80% of people believe this and whatever. Like that's also really important, but don't forget that. One build I'll make on that, which just reminded me, 
facts. We have we have facts too. Like facts are uh, the the um, uh, here's the here's the anecdote. A CFO I worked with, who I'm very close to, confided in me that actually what he does is marketing. He just happens to use spreadsheets, uh, but it's all marketing. And he's telling a story just like I'm telling a story. And he's using spreadsheets to tell that story, but it's a story. And so don't get intimidated by, <laughs> by the facts on the page. They're not facts. They're the same facts as our facts in, in terms of what an advertising image looks like. Um, there is information that you use to tell the story you're trying to tell. And that's what the CFO does. I want to shift into the other theme that came from you, and that's collaboration. It's one of those words. So what I'd like to do is turn to the audience, and if we can get the mics out there, I'd like you to just hand the mic to a friend. I want you, a few of you to say, when I say the word collaboration, what immediately comes to your mind? So what is the image? What is the word? What is the phrase? So let's, let's run the mics down. And collaboration, and I'm going to ask you two to react to this. What do you think of when you hear collaboration? Hi, my name is Surabi. I'm with Salonese. When I hear collaboration, it comes to alignment of incentives, drivers. Uh, so we're all working towards the same cool. objective. Okay, just pass the mic to someone else. Put them on the spot. <laughs> Brainstorming and divergent thinking. Okay. Um, ideas made better through others. Partnership. Mm. Different take on that. Friendship. Camaraderie. I would say alignment of resources. Working together for a better outcome. Making the work better. Compromise. Different, different ideas coming together. Innovation. Partnership across different functions. Mm. Alignment of objectives. Super. Okay. Your reaction to that? Uh, well, finding allies. Finding allies. Good. Okay. Super. That was great, by the way. Thank you for that. Your reaction to that? You guys should be up here. <laughs> no, I mean, I think those are all right. I mean, I, I, I guess to me, if I, if I think about collaboration, collaboration simply says, you know, to, to me, can you get the outcomes you all described consistently as much as possible? <laughs> because then you actually get, you know, you actually get movement and nothing, nothing, nothing happens on your own. So, uh, you know, there is just not a moment. We're collaborating right now. You know, it's just the reality of life. And so, um, you know, I think the, um, I, I, it's almost like a BAU and yes to everything that you guys said. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can get anything done without mm -hmm. it. I think it's so critical. Um, a lot of what you said is exactly right. Like, that's, that's how we get done. That's how we get work done. Um, that's how we get results and impact. That's how we live as humans. That's what makes us happy as humans, which is why we were miserable being holed up in our houses um, for so long, because we miss that community, because we're so much better together than when we're apart, with a recognition, though, that we each come with expertise. And I know that sometimes as marketers, because um, our work can be perceived as softer, sometimes people lose sight of the expertise that comes with the function. Um, and so I'm all about collaboration, but I think collaboration really works when you understand that each member comes with expertise. Um, and when we bring all of that expertise together, then we all win. Sometimes when I get people who are antagonistic and I'm sort of meeting up with somebody who just, and usually it comes from a place of fear. They don't know, and so they're immediately going to be antagonistic. I will tell them the story of Yes And. It's a very easy, you guys know it. It's like, how do you, how do you, how do, you do improv? 
where you say yes and yes and that's how you create something great. And so if I ever get into a situation where I notice the person is just gearing up to fight because they're afraid, they, they probably don't know something or whatever, I will just sort of take the tension out of the room by saying, you know, one of the things I love is improv. And the great thing about improv is we don't know where we're going. But if we just say yes and, we come up to the interesting places. And if we hate it, we'll start over. And we'll try it again. And it just gets the other person to get uncomfortable saying no. <laughs> and so they, they kind of want to say yes at that point. And so it just helps the dialogue. One last question on collaboration. Everything you said is so rich and we don't get anything done by ourselves and our roles are beyond our functions. How do you build that culture of collaboration and still a culture of fast moving and decisiveness? Because collaboration does take time and it takes energy and we have to move so quickly in our marketplaces. So how do you do that? How do you manage that tension, if you will? Um, I think you have shared KPIs and get agreement on the tenets, not the specifics, because that allows the team. So it's like, okay, so let's all agree. The top five things we're trying to do here are, are we agreed on that? Okay, then that way the team can take that and go live that every day, and they don't have to keep coming back to check. If you are not aligned on the big picture, the KPIs, are we shooting for the same thing? Every time you have conflict, a lot of times it's because you're not. They have one goal and you have a completely different goal. And there is no way you guys are ever going to meet together until that gets resolved. So it's like, forget all that stuff, just fix that. And then agree on tenets. Um, if you guys are agreed on tenets, then the team is empowered. They can run. The only time then they have to come back is if they feel the tenets are... Have, need to change, and we can have another big, bring everybody back to have another kumbaya. Here are the new facts, we have to change the tenets. But if the tenets haven't changed, um, then the team should be able to run. Um, and if they're delivering against the KPIs and living by the tenets, why do we care? We shouldn't care. Um, but if they're not delivering against the KPI, then that's one thing. But if they're living the tenets and delivering the KPI, they should run as fast as possible and do a lot of that as possible. Yeah, I mean, this, just, I mean, this is something you've heard a thousand times collaboration does not equal consensus. And so don't look for consensus. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's the heart of it uh, for, for what I tell my team is, look, you want to share and talk with everybody all the time, but your timeline is not dictated by their reaction. <laughs> because that's just, that's trying to find consensus. And we don't care about consensus. We want to get input and feedback and reactions all the time. But our timeline is our timeline. We're going back to the audience. So any questions about anything for our wonderful, open, honest panel? Uh, Courtney Carlson. I work at Walmart. Um, question for you just on business partners. And you talked a lot about, I mean, I think collaboration will hit on this. Um, can you talk maybe just about just your very candor and appreciate all the candor you brought today. Maybe some really difficult conversations you've had with business partners about prioritization and the impact that's had on you and your leadership and how you lead your teams. Internal business partners or external? Internal. Internal, okay. Uh, happens all the time. <laughs> not, not unusual. Um, so get used to it. I know you already are. Get more used to it. It doesn't change. Here's, here's, so I'll give a specific example for me. I had um, one, of our, one of our business partners, one of our business leaders, tell the board that we had this amazing way of driving uh, growth in one of our products. And it was 
simply not true. Uh, it wasn't generating the growth, and the amount of effort it required to do that effort was outrageously out of whack with what the benefit was. But he's already told the board, so he's on the hook now. And so I know he's going to have a hard time agreeing with me that we're not going to do it. Because if we're not going to do it, he's going to have to tell the board we're not going to do it. And that's going to be a really, really hard conversation for him. Uh, so how do I find a way to have that difficult conversation, get the outcome I want, which is we're not going to do this, but do it in a way that he actually celebrates that we're not going to do this? <laughs> because otherwise, we're going to have a fight at the board. So that was the, that was the actual scenarios. Now, two things helped me. The first is I had a relationship with this person, a personal relationship which I try and cultivate with as many people as possible. I have talked to him many times about his life, about his family, about his kids, about his passions. I've played tennis with him. So I have a relationship that I can lean on a little bit that he knows I'm not coming at this to put him down. I'm coming at this because it's just a terrible idea. And sometimes we all make stupid mistakes and we tell the board things that we shouldn't have, and he did. So then the second element was, how do I give him an, a, a ramp out of this problem? Because it's his problem, but I can be helpful in giving him a ramp. So the first thing I committed to him was, I'm not going to make a big deal of the fact that this thing is terrible. Because if this thing is terrible and you didn't know that, shame on both of us. Let's, let's agree that, you know, I should have been more clear with you that this is a dog. But, the, you know, let's agree that that's a, that's a shared problem. So I'm not going to be the person that says, this idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. And you should know that person. But then the second is, I want you to be the one to tell the board that we've actually found a better way to drive growth for this product. And we're going to come up with a different way to drive growth for this product, and that's what you're gonna say. And that's what he did. So, so we did get ourselves out of that quandary. Now, I played second fiddle. I didn't go to the board and make a big show of it because my goal wasn't to win that battle. My goal was to have a longstanding relationship that engenders growth for the marketing function and the company. So that was the way, I don't know if that was too obtuse, but that was my example. It's creativity at work right there. A creative solution to a sticky problem. Yeah, um, I would say had, a had lots of situations just working in entertainment. Um, you can easily have a, a situation with the studios that creates the content, right? Because they make, I don't know, maybe they make 100 shows a year. Um, and then from a marketing perspective, you have goals. From a PNL perspective, you have to hit. And you can't make equal bets on all 100. Um, and so you do have to make choices about which ones you invest behind and which ones you don't. And that inherently creates tension. And so I would say a lot of times there was probably like unneeded tension because we didn't have shared KPIs. Um, and then once we agreed, okay, what are the three KPIs that we're all gonna be measured by? Okay, so we now agree what those are? Okay, cool. Then you get in a room with those people and say, of these 100 shows, like really, really, let's look at the data, let's look at our intuition, which are the ones that we believe will help us achieve these three KPIs? And we were actually not that far apart. And then we jointly decided, okay, 
and there are some cases where we don't agree, and that's fine. Like that's when you leverage like your veto power or whatever. Um, but a lot of times you're actually on the same page about the shows that are good, but they're not great. And then you then decide, okay, so these are the big shows that we're going to invest the majority of our funds. And then the rest of them, I mean, will handle in a very different way. But bringing them into that process, and that's why I'm like, you can, on a strategy basis, on the tactics, you can be as generous and as open as you need to be and bring everybody in for the journey. And that was just an example of like having them solve the same problem because we all have the same goal and we all have the same KPIs. And at the end of the day, they don't want to miss that either. And so if we work together on that, it's very easy for us to come to a place of agreement on what we believe will drive those. And then there's a lot of nuance after that, but at least you've solved the big things together. How we then drive those shows and the creativity behind those, like I'm not as democratic about that. Um, but I think on kind of the big stuff, you guys can solve that together. And it helps you prioritize very, very quickly. One other thing I, I made to add that I think is a good thing uh, for you guys to know is you know, politics is normal. It's not, I mean, you know this, this is not, nothing to be shy, shy away from it. So, you know, lean into it. Don't be afraid of it. You know, the, the, the best arguments are the ones that you never had to have. And that happens through a lot of political maneuvering. Um, so uh, there's just instance after instance in my career, and I suspect in yours as well, where the, the way that you create um, relationships and create, con create sort of the weight of your argument allows the conflict to never come up because that person who might have a conflict with you just does not have the platform to present that conflict or actually backs down themselves before the conflict ever arises. Um, so don't be afraid of that. Uh, and there have been moments where I have played the political card aggressively when I felt like it was really necessary uh, to get the outcome that uh, I wanted. Um, and that means, you know, making a phone call in private to the CEO or whatever and saying, look, this is what this is what's happening and this is what I need to have happen and this is how I'm going to play it and I need you to know about it. Um, so that, um, you know, when that moment comes and that meeting is there, I've already done the advocacy beforehand with the people that might influence the decision. Don't be afraid of that. As these people return to work, I guess, next week, after this intensive experience listening to people like yourselves, what's your advice to them as they re-enter their teams, their homes, their workplaces, What's your advice to them after this week? You've been through a lot of experiences like this. Mm -hmm. what, what has worked for you as you, as you re-enter? Well, everyone's going to be curious what you did here. So I would, I would actually celebrate what you learned and, 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 and help bring people along in that journey and become a voice for, uh, for growth individually for people. That's, a, that's always a nice thing um, because they're going to be like, oh, that person got to go to Deloitte and I didn't. And... So use that to your advantage and, and use that as a place of, you know, you, you, become, a, you become a source of, of inspiration for others uh, is the first thing I would say. The other is this is really a gift. I mean, I, I don't know. How, I've been to a lot of these. This is by far the nicest structure I've been to. Um, and I suspect you guys have. So this is a true gift for each of you. Um, and so, uh, you know, cherish it and make the most of it. I would say... Um Somebody nominated you to be here, and they believe in your potential. And so I hope that you walk out of here believing the same potential that they see in you. And uh, 
Yeah, and so I was like, believe that you are a CMO, and I, I think I feel like you you get promoted to do things that you're already doing a lot of times, at least for Black people. <laughs> like, I kind of already have to be like the thing before I finally get the opportunity to do it. So I would say, walk out of here knowing that you already are that thing. Um, you already are a CMO, and start thinking like one. Start acting like one even before. Be like the number two to your person. Be like, I'm, I'm willing to step in whenever. So I think that's, you know, that's really, really important. Take the time to really distill your thoughts. Where I'm typically like type A people always going. Um, make sure you have enough time to really jot down what you learned here. Not just like, as, like in the moment, but like really taking the time to be like, okay, of everything I learned, like in the three days, what are the key things that I want to make sure that I take forward with me? Um, and carve out time on your calendar to do that. Because if not, you go right into work and it would be like this never even happened. And then the last bit is this network is everything. Because here's what's going to happen. And this is how it really, really works. A headhunter is going to call him for a job and he's going to be like, I love my job. I'm not looking to move, but I know Okonwa actually, and Okonwa's great, and you should talk to Okonwa. And all of a sudden you get a call and you're like, how'd you find out about me? Sometimes they tell you, sometimes they don't. And this group is that group. And so don't forget to like, like make friends out of this group because like these are the future CMOs. And so, and even if they don't want the job, let your name be the name that they go. I'm not ready for it, but I think she may be, or she was amazing. Like, I really, really liked her, or I really, really like him. And at the end of the day, that's how you get the calls. Um, and so the, this, these friendships, like, they're everything. Like, take the moment to really get to know each other um, and to form, like, really strong bonds with each other because it'll, it'll, it'll stay with you for a very, very, very long time. That is a beautiful way yeah. to end this beautiful discussion. So let's give it up for these two. Thank you. Thank you, Vinu and Ukanwa. That was my conversation with Vinu and Ukanwa. One big takeaway from this one, the importance of kindness and caring as a leader and knowing yourself. These two just were amazing in terms of their care for their people, their care for their company's mission. And by the way, they're caring, they're kind, they're also smart, decisive, and accomplished and results driven. You can be both as a leader, and this was a good example of two leaders who are kind and very, very ambitious. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.